0: Hey there, I'm your host Norm, and this is the Cardboard Conjecture Podcast. And this episode is What You've Been Playing Wednesday. And a very quick announcement that we are now dropping episodes the second week and fourth week of the month. And on this episode are The Meeple Dungeon, Meeple and the Moose, definitely a board game podcast. Mozart games and cardboard conjecture and as always please take the time check out the show notes there's links you know to the cast check them out they're so much fun and you know as I always say enjoy the episode
1: It's Rob and Annemarie from the Meeple Dungeon. Hello! And we are back again recording for the What's Been Playing Wednesdays podcast, and we have one game to talk about this week. What game is that, Annemarie?
2: That game is Undaunted Normandy, designed by Trevor Benjamin and David Thompson, the first, art by Roland McDonald, and published by Osprey Games.
1: Yes, Undaunted Normandy. This is a game that we've had on a shelf for like a long time yes. and we just never got around to playing it and I've well, particularly I have really been oh I've wanted to play this one too I know but I think you got this for my birthday yeah well that's why because I knew you wanted it yeah but it's just like this is a game that just for whatever reason we just didn't get to play it and we finally got around to playing it and yeah this is a really cool World War 2 kind of skirmish game where it's two players and one of you plays as the Allies the other plays as the uh well <laughs> Germans uh, <laughs> and uh, during World War 2 and it's a tile game so the the map is made up of tiles and every uh, map uh, there's a bunch of different scenarios yeah the book and gives you all these scenarios yeah, that you can lay the tiles out or and, something in this game yeah um,
2: tiles are all double sided so yeah. you have 18 i think so you have like 30 36 different Kind of tiles.
1: Yeah, and you lay out, uh, according to the scenario, lay out a map, and it's got a whole bunch of cool little buildings and and landscapes and things that create your little map. And then you're going to have kind of starting spots for your units, and your units are going to be dictated by a list given from the scenario as well. So you're going to have a deck of cards with specific cards to you, Mm -hmm. um, and I'm going to have cards specific to me. Yeah. Uh, the tutorial scenario it's kind of equal but from beyond that they're all like quite different
2: yeah it's really um, interesting you get um you get your deck of cards and you lay them out in front of you in groups of what they are so you could have like your rifleman a your a's in one group and rifleman B's yeah and then, that's
1: your um like that's your supply
2: your supply yeah, yeah. so and then you'll have like um, and then you your, your squads, your platoon sergeants, things like that. But yeah. you'll have whatever you have multiples of, they're kind of laid out in front of you so that both players can see what mm-hmm. you have.
1: It's open information. You can see how many yeah. riflemen you have left to. You can see when the pile upon, is dwindling like and. Like reinforce. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, you can see your enemy's uh, supply dwindling in front of you. Yeah. And and, um, and
2: you get to choose what goes into your hand by what actions you play. hmm and or what actions you choose the cards you play have different actions on them and you get to select you know one yeah, of each them
1: card like you said is a different type of trooper of some sort yeah you have like like you said there's leader cards like that that are like squad leaders and, and things platoon but then sergeants like, and yeah you're gonna have like riflemen machine gunners machine gunners and and so forth underneath there and every one of them basically on your turn you're going to be playing a card or no um to begin the round, you're both going to play a card down, and that's going to determine the um, initiative. Initiative, because each card can be played for initiative or yeah. for what it's what else it does. And you yeah. Generally, have three, four different actions that they can do. So once you've discovered initiative, whoever goes first is going to play out all and as many cards as they can. Yeah. Or want to. Yeah. And then they're going to finish their turn, and you're going to pass it on to the uh, opponent, and they're going to play as many cards as they can. Or want to, and that's the end of the round. Yeah. And then you're going to draw up again to your cards, I think it was four. 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 Yeah. playing, yeah. And then, um, although you draw five, you play one for your initiative. Yeah, yeah. and then, um, yeah, you keep doing this back and forth until the objective is met by either side, and each side's going to have a very different objective than the other.
2: Yeah.
1: Like, <laughs> um, yeah, you're, say, you've played mostly the allies, I've played the, yeah. the German side, and, um, yeah, like, I might be having to fortify an area and hold off your advance. And if I can take out X amount of units or something from your side, I win. Or if you're able to take so many different locations, you win. Um, And that's the cool thing because like, uh, the different tiles have different kind of values on them too.
2: Yes. So they can count towards your defense. And if I was going to attack you, um, I have the you know the um, the level that your sergeant or your sorry your rifleman might be at maybe he's a level four, and then but you're on a tile that has the level three on it so I'm actually having to beat a seven like a seven or more die roll.
1: Yeah, and there's a, there's different things to do with um, uh, distance as well. So for every yes. tile you're away from someone, you're adding you know one more defense yes. to that to that unit that you're shooting at and whatnot. And it's cool, yeah. The scenarios are all laid out, and there's different objective coins laid around, and the various uh, various objectives that you have to complete, and the car- you're you're playing out cards, and the cards are either moving your troops or using your troops to attack other troops, and, and things like this, and um,
2: yeah, and then we've uh, it, it's interesting how you how you have to do it. I I can feel like oh I'm doing really good. I'm getting you cornered. I'm gonna
1: do this, and then yeah, my die rolls just the don't dice roll, don't work. Yes, it like, oh, kind of brings this like it brings this like realistic but annoying it is and um, i thing I, to it i think it would it kind of i was thinking about
2: it i think it would equate to something going wrong like your yeah, well, your you're gun jamming or like your or the
1: guy that you're shooting at is just covered just enough and you're yeah. shooting bricks or or sandbags or whatever yeah. and you're just not able to take out the target and that's the way these dice rolls work and i really did like that about this yeah. i thought the dice roll gave it like a a randomness that would be realistic. It did um,
2: get a little frustrating when uh, you would consistently roll like sevens, eights, and nines, yes. and I would roll ones, yeah, twos, threes sure. and threes in the that, same game. But yeah. it's just the dice rolling, and that's is what it is. Then I had to change my strategy you had to and be like, "Things up quick. Cause I you were can't gunned be down now, yeah, right? like so, I can't be stuck here. I got to move gotta away move, so he right? can't. So that's what I mean. So he is can't it, hit me.
1: It adds like that kind of realistic yeah. th- thing, like a, a part to it where. It's Like uh, what I'm doing isn't working, and I've got to figure this yeah, out. I've got right to adapt, now, right? So, yeah, uh, that being said, uh, we're not going to talk too much more about Undaunted here because we are going to play a whole bunch more of this. We yeah. have all of them, uh, here on the table actually, right beside us that are available. Um, yeah, all that are available. We have pre ordered <laughs> it, well, including we have Undaunted Stalingrad sitting here beside us, which is a big campaign game. Um and we're gonna get to that shortly. So we're gonna do I think maybe like some big undaunted episode yeah, or something I think so. on, the, on the podcast for us, uh, the Meeple Dungeon podcast. But uh yeah, so we'll hear all about undaunted um in the near future. Mm-hmm. Uh hopefully all of them. This one and South Africa and the uh Stalingrad. Yes. And then the what uh, the other one that's kinda gives. The reinforcement Reinforcements, reinforcements Yeah, a which could of... Uh, upgrades the other ones. But yeah, that's it about us and Undaunted for this week and we will see you next week. Cheers! See ya!
3: Hello! My name is Alex and I write board game reviews over at MeepleNews.com and I'm here to talk about the games i played this week for Watchmen Playing Wednesday. Civilization building games aren't something that I explicitly seek out. I've played a small amount of Sid Meier's Civilization on the PC, mostly Civ 4 and Civ 5, and I've played dozens of games of through the ages, A New Story Civilization, on both Board Game Arena and on the dedicated Android app. Those two games capture the civilization building gameplay so well that I feel satisfied. I'm never seeking new experiences because that quota has been filled. Nations is a card-based civilization game for one to five players. In Nations, you'll take control of a civilization and lead them from the Age of Antiquity all the way through the Industrial Revolution. In Nations, you'll need to balance improving your infrastructure by purchasing building and military technologies and employing your citizens on them with the stability of your nation and your military might. Completing wonders, hiring advisors, and claiming colonies will provide persistent benefits over the course of the game that will give you the edge. Wars and famine, on the other hand, threaten to steal away your resources, costing you precious victory points if you end up in a deficit of any resource. While there's no direct conflict, there are lots of points to interact with each other. On the progress board where all the cards come out, taking the precious cards before others can get them is an important aspect, as is hiring the limited number of architects to complete your wonders. Whoever has military supremacy gets to go first each round, and should anyone declare war, each other player will need to meet or exceed the might threshold of that warmongering player, the might that they had when they declared the war, lest they suffer the ill effects. A way to offset those effects is to maintain your stability. A stable nation is able to weather the effects of a war. You know, for every point of a st- a stability a nation has, they lose one less item during a lost war. Every player who loses a war will still lose a single victory point, regardless of its stability. Players take turns performing a single action during their turn. You take cards from the progress board, deploy workers, hire an architect, or pass, until all players have passed. At the end of every round, players produce all the goods from their workers, depending on which technologies they've been deployed to, and then the player order is adjusted based on the military strength of each nation. After that, war is resolved, and two historical events happen. Generally, these events involve giving boons to the player with the most of a certain resource, often stability, and a detriment to the player with the least of a something, often stability. Ties in this regard are as unfriendly as you can imagine. If you're tied for most, no one gets a benefit. If you're tied for last, all tied players take the punishment. Finally, a famine happens in which all players need to discard some amount of food, which is revealed at the start of the round. Every two rounds there's a book scoring in which each player earns a single point for every other player that they have more book points than. Then the world progresses into the next age. After four ages the game comes to an end. You'll earn points for the colonies and wonders you've claimed, points for the workers on technologies and for all the excess resources you've accrued, uh, one point for 10 resources a really terrible trade. Scores in nations are much lower than other Civ games, the average score is about 35 points. I think every review and how to play summary that I read or watched of Nations before playing said something along the lines of, it's kind of like a lighter through the ages, which isn't wrong. Both are card-based civilization games. Naturally, games with similar themes and mechanics will get compared against each other. Nations feels lighter and faster than through the ages, but not by very much. I will concede that Nations was easier to play, much less fiddly than through the ages but in the interest of full disclosure i've only played through the ages physically once during that play i found all the movement of the cubes and cylinders and discs and back and forth really tedious nations does do better in this regard in that you can only do one thing on your turn so you don't get to the end of a six step progress only to realize you're a single resource short and you need to walk back your entire turn I enjoy this turn structure in Nations. It it creates tension as you need to prioritize what you'll take with your first action and hope that the second thing you want will still be there when it comes back around to you. At the same time, you might be biding your time waiting for someone to pass so that you can drop a hammer and make a radical change that will throw their round into chaos. The iconography in Nations is a bit confusing. Red is good and black is negative. I think every accountant just shook their heads in despair. Circle icons only produce at the end of each round, while square icons take effect immediately... Uh, and once a player has passed, they're out of the round. This can allow you to posture as a peaceful, stable nation until your neighbors have passed, and then move all your stable government workers into the chariot positions, ratchet up your military, and declare war in the last moments, provided there's a war on the progress bar that you can afford and no other war has already been declared. Unlike Through the Ages, you won't see every card in every game, and there seems to be a much wider variety of cards. With 7 different card types in Nations, and only a maximum of 15 cards coming out every round in a 3 player game, there's a chance the card type you're wanting isn't going to show yourself, or if it does, doesn't fit your strategy particularly well. Sure, the Samurais are powerful warriors, but they have a production cost of negative 1 gold, and if you were already pinched for gold, and they were the only military card to come out that round, you might just be up the creek without a katana. It's common in Nations to feel a bit starved for resources, especially if a player is being a warmonger other players are forced to commit their few workers to keeping up with you in military might or keep their stability quite high to offset the cost of those wars. Coupled with famine sucking away food stores, it can be hard to get ahead in all the different resources. Instead, you may find yourself sucking up the cost of redeploying your workers every round to cover any shortfalls that the round is introducing. It's tough but rewarding when you manage to have 11 grain and can move every employee into the mines for a few rounds. One thing that really impressed me was a tiny touch. Every card had a date and a place, showing when and where the item or person depicted on the card was represented. Augustus, you know, 63 BCE to 14 CE, Roman Republic, the Hanging Gardens, 600 BCE, Babylon, and Marie Antoinette, 1755 to 1793, France. It felt great having little a little historical anchor in the civilization game. Of course, some will complain that it's not realistic, you know, having Augustus lead a legion of samurai into the Hundred Years War, and my retort to that complaint is that Augustus doesn't fit on a card either, so whatever. A disappointment in Nations is the art and graphic design is pretty dreadful. It's the kind of art that I would expect to see on someone's refrigerator, and I feel hypocritical saying so, as my art skills are pretty much non-existent, and maybe I'm spoiled by all the beautiful games that have come out in the last 10 years, but honestly, Nations is an eyesore. I would love to see a modernized version of this game be produced with colorful artwork because I really enjoyed this game. Nations was smooth to play, and while the rules were a little hard to wrap my head around, we all agreed that it was quite good. Streamlined and engaging, tense and exciting. We thoroughly enjoyed playing Nations and agree that we would absolutely bring it back to the table soon, especially since our friend Otter missed out on playing this game and we think he would really enjoy it. If you have Nations sitting unplayed on your shelf and you enjoy games like Through the Ages but find them just a little too tedious or fiddly to play on the table, I highly recommend getting Nations out. And heck, if you enjoy Nations but has fallen to the wayside in favor of much brighter, flashier, and newer games, this is your reminder that just because the game was published in 2013 doesn't mean it's not exciting or interesting. Get Nations back out and make your civilization stand head and shoulders above the rest. And that's all I played this week. If you want to read more of my board game reviews, you can find them on my blog, MeepleandtheMoose.com. And have a happy Wednesday.
4: Hello, I am AAron Ron Millich. And I'm Royce Calverly. And we are definitely a board game podcast. A podcast definitely about board games, except when they're not. And we're back on What You've Been Playing Wednesday. Woo!
5: Woo! I do it again. Do you think Aaron will yell at me?
4: <laughs> that was your yeah, cue. That was okay. your cue. All right.
5: Yeah. Yeah. All right. What have you
4: been playing, Aaron? Oh, I'm glad you asked, Royce. <laughs> Finally, I have been playing a game. (laughs) Stop it. I have been playing a game called Flamecraft by Manny Vega. Art by Sandera Tang. Published by Cardboard Alchemy. Came out in 2022. And if if I'm correct here, I think you told me this was originally a Kickstarter. It was, yeah. Yeah. So uh, this is one of those games where my wife was probably doom scrolling through Tumblr. And she sent me this little image, said, hey, have you ever seen this game? It looks very cute. And then I took that to mean go out and get it. And I did. And she's like, oh, you bought it. <laughs> I'm like, why did you show me the game if you weren't interested in it? Anyway, finally got it to the table this weekend. Loved, loved, loved it. Uh, it is a, a, a game of a, a style I've never really played before. What I really liked about it and something you probably... disagree with me on is i love that it's almost impossible to really screw someone else in this game
5: no no i don't disagree actually so uh, caroline black and i were talking about this in a previous episode and we talked about this new thing that seems to be going around which is what we called kind interaction yeah so where you're still have a lot of interaction with the other players but you're the only interaction is who do you help So the only negative is you can't help everyone, which is it it brings a different little twist to it where your interaction is all just happy interaction. It's kind of interesting and neat. I actually enjoy that about this game.
4: Oh, okay, that's good. I'm glad to hear that. Uh, Yeah. So basically you're placing dragons in shops. You're getting resources. And with those resources, you can uh, do enchantments. And these enchantments get you victory points and each of the individual dragons that you have to play with have special powers too, and you can fire them up, literally, <laughs> and uh, use their powers to get you more resources and more enchantments and more victory points. Uh, there's even the option of giving other players gifts, which give you victory points. Uh, really enjoyed it. Uh, the only two things that came up that were challenges, uh, well, one, one was a challenge, one was just a straight-out complaint, Uh, This has a long, really cool, but long board. Preach it, brother. Yeah. (laughs) We actually needed to put the leaf in the dining room table to get this game on, on the table. It's a huge board. And that's because you can open 14 different shops. And the shop cards are, I think they're five by seven cards. They're quite big. Um, so that was the one challenge the other challenge that uh, one of our players said was it doesn't make sense that you're placing a dragon in a shop, meaning you're a dragon igniting dragon shouldn't you just be a human igniting dragon so she thought they should just be regular old meeples instead of dragon heads and I'm like that's just uh, you're not just being picky (laughs) it's just a complete like a (laughs) whimsy Yeah. Anyway, great game. Loved it. Two thumbs up. Uh, My wife taught us the game. She's never done that before. She did a great job. We had a lot of fun. She won, of course, because she taught us the game. But uh, definitely when we'll get to the table again, two thumbs up. And uh, hope to see more of these style of games uh, going
5: forward in our collection. Yeah, I've ranted about these long boards a couple (laughs) times. There's a few games recently that have come out with this. Nova being another big example. Nova, yeah. And I just hate, like, if I'm sitting at one end of this longboard, there's no way I can read the cards at the other end of the longboard. It's not so bad with Flamecraft because there isn't a great variation in the cards. So if uh, once I know what a Leaf Dragon does, I just have to be able to see it's a Leaf Dragon. I don't need to know what it says on the card. Something like Arc Nova, where every card is unique, makes it much, much harder. I just... If it had just been a square board, it would have taken up less space. You could have had space for the same uh, index card size cards, like you said. But it would have been accessible and readable from every angle. I I just really hate those long boards. I love this game. It's a great game, but I hate those long boards.
4: We played, I think, six games total across the day. So from 2 p.m. to about 10 p.m. Yeah, And I'm almost embarrassed to say, but this is 100% true. I almost didn't sleep because my arm was so sore from reaching across the table. I think I pulled something and I was in pain all night long. I'm like, you got to be kidding uh, me. You got to be kidding. Anyway,
5: I remember when you were a paragon of fitness. Yeah. Baseball for yeah. days. Yeah. And now playing a game for a, a few hours strains all your muscles.
4: <laughs> all right. Enough about that. What have you been playing Wednesday, Royce?
5: I almost don't want to say because I'm sort of. I I, it, I mentioned we just recorded our 20 best of 22 mm-hmm. the rest episode and I mentioned on uh, I think it was on Twitter I said that you know, for a show about the best of 2022 I did an awful lot of renting. Yeah. and, <laughs> and you did. somebody one of our fellow podcasters responded with uh, yeah, well, that's kind of your thing <laughs> <laughs> that's true. you know and I'm sort of like oh. I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing. <laughs> I mean, I'm aging into it gracefully, I guess. But <laughs> <laughs> so this is sort of a half rant, half not rant. And I don't know if I want to rant about it or not, but I want to talk about two games technically. Okay. Uh, so Yokohama and Yokohama Duel. Right. I've heard of these. Right. So Yokohama, they're both by Hasashi Hi- Hayashi. Uh, they were both published by Okazu in Japan, although Tasty Minstrel published Yokohama in North America before Tasty Minstrels sort of went bottoms up. They never published the dual version, so the dual version never technically got released in uh, North America, as far as I know. Yokohama is 2016; Dual is 2018. Yokohama is one of my favorite games. It's a, just a wonderful worker movement game. So what happens is you put down workers and then you move your president along the chain of workers you've created. Hmm. And the number of workers you have in the spot combined with your president, combined with any shops or trading houses you built in that spot earlier, will tell you the level you can activate that spot at. Hmm. Okay. So you place workers and then you move along the chain and you activate somewhere along that chain. And you're like trying to build up these bigger turns later on. You're doing this to do things like you're collecting resources, you're completing orders, building new technologies, uh, you make donations to the church, you ship items through the customs houses. All these things that you're doing on these various different locations ultimately is to score points. Uh, You get points for pretty much everything. Uh, You get foreign agents if you do the right combinations which allow you to do like sort of extra half turns which is hmm, really like increases your productivity. It's just an amazing, brain-burning, great, really deep Euro game. Right. And it plays great at two. Oh. So I never even considered getting the dual version, the two-player version, because Uh-oh. the main game played so well. Yeah. And then Tasty Minstrel went out of business, and I saw a copy of the dual available and I thought, well, maybe I should get it, you know. Just in case. While I can. Yeah. So I did. So the dual version, it's got a set board, which means you lose a fair bit of variability right at the beginning. The original had the cards similar to like flamecraft size cards, actually, right. that built like a pyramid for you to move around in. This one, it's always the same cards in the same locations. It doesn't have any uh, endgame goals the way the last one did, hmm. so you don't have any of those sort of bonuses. It takes about the same length of time. It's maybe a tiny bit shorter, but not really. It is simpler, but not so much that it's worthwhile. And I guess my question is why the heck does it exist? (laughs) (laughs) All right, you said that. The two player version of the first one's good. Yeah. And that's the thing. I just, so we played the dual version. And (laughs) We liked it. It was fine. And then Grace said, well, maybe we should play the original and we played the original and it was just like, why would we ever go back to that dual version? I don't understand. Right. And it, it, it's a little easier in terms of the movement of the president, they get rid of that entirely and you basically just have power cards that you play out instead, which takes away a lot of the forward planning. Uh, You don't have to think two or three turns in advance So for somebody who doesn't like that kind of forward planning, the duel might be worthwhile. I don't know. I just, I love Yokohama. I'm not sure why Yokohama duel exists at all. And I don't know why you would make another version of a game that already plays incredibly well at two players. I can certainly understand there are games that don't play well at two players and you make a two player version. Seven Wonders is a great example of that. Like, Seven Wonders Duel was a fantastic two-player adoption of Seven Wonders. And I may even like Duel better now. I don't know. It's just, anyway, that's where I'm at. I'm ranting about whether they should have created this in the first place. And then I'm really just talking about this because I'm kind of annoyed with myself. Because yesterday I ordered the Yokohama Rollin' <laughs> and I can't imagine there's a reason to own that either. But I well, did it.
4: We'll find out. <laughs> So, I guess we know why they went out of business. Well, no, no. (laughs) They went out of business for a lot of
5: different reasons. I had nothing to do with
3: this.
5: (laughs) Someday we're going to have to do an episode on Tasty Minstrel Games. They're a really interesting case study in business. We should. It'll be a good main event. All right. So. So
4: Sorry, go ahead. You can finish. Yeah. Flamecraft, two thumbs up. Yokohama, two thumbs up. Yokohama Duel. Not so much.
5: You've never played Yokohama? Two thumbs up?
4: <laughs> <laughs> and Roy if you played Yokohama, why not just have Yokohama? And we'll make sure Royce lets us know about the Roll and Write version of Yokohama. <laughs> why am I an idiot? <laughs> <laughs> if you want to hear more about why Royce is an idiot, <laughs> check out our podcast, <laughs> Definitely Board Game podcast, streaming everywhere podcast stream. If you want to reach out to us, Board at gmail.com, at boarddefinitely on Facebook, and at definitelyboard on Twitter, I think, I hope, is that right, Royce?
5: Yep. Perfect. It is. Awesome. It, um No, it's at board definitely on Twitter.
4: See, I knew I was screwing something up. At board yep. definitely. Now you can find. Come listen to our show to find out why. Why I'm an idiot. I'm there too. All right. Anything else before we go, Royce? Uh,
5: if anyone's interested, I have a lightly used copy of your duel for sale. <laughs> <seven. laughs> Say goodbye, Royce. Goodbye, Royce.
6: Hello everyone, this is Chris Morris from Mozart Games, and I am thrilled to be back again on What You've Been Playing Wednesday this week. If you want to give me a follow on Twitter, you can find me on there as SpiderMo, that's Spider with a Y. I'll often post pics of games that I've been playing, some of my ongoing challenges as a designer, and a few rants and raves along the way. This week I want to talk about a couple of games that I've played quite a bit this year, Arcadia Quest and Arcadia Quest Inferno, both from CMON Games. We started a six-game campaign on New Year's Day with a group of four of us, and we managed to wrap it up this last weekend. We played the Fall of Arcadia campaign, which combined both base games together, and was a blast to finally play through an entire campaign with a full group of players. If you're not too sure about what it is, Arcadia Quest is a dungeon crawl for two to four players, with a fair amount of confrontation between players in order to complete various objectives during each scenario. Each player will have a group of three heroes that they use throughout, and those heroes will gain various equipment and upgrades after each game, boosting their stats and giving them new bonuses in order to try to win each game. The basic premise is quite simple. Heroes have a health and a defense stat, and a special ability. All of their attacks are through the weapons or the spells that you give them, and you can customize all of your heroes during the campaign so they'll feel very differently each time that you play. Players will roll an attack or defense dice to fight monsters, and each die has a 1 in 6 chance to give you a critical success. Which means that you get to roll an additional die, meaning that even a limited pool of dice can result in huge successes. Just so long as you're able to hit those crits. Monsters that players encounter all have health numbers. One that players need to hit in order to defeat the monster, and another to knock it out instantly. If you hit the lower number, the monster will still have a chance to attack back before being eliminated, meaning that you can defeat them, but also lose your hero in the same attack if things don't go well for you. Monsters will usually just stay where they are on the board until attacked and they don't roam the dungeon, which is a good thing as there's already a lot going on in this game, which is really just a fun dice-chucker at heart. Many monsters also have special abilities that will trigger when attacking, or being attacked, which can be detrimental to your plans, depending on what each one of them do. Players are also able to attack each other's heroes, which will be necessary, as the a, as a scenario is finished once one team completes three different quests. This encourages getting into each other's faces, but once you've beaten one hero from an opponent's team, you gain very little benefit from attacking them again, discouraging one player from getting piled on by everybody else. Death for a hero is short, as a player can take a rest action in order to respawn any of their defeated heroes, and they also get to refresh any weapons or spells that they've used on their team. They can also use the rest action in order to move cards around from one hero to another, changing their strategy up on the fly. Monsters will also be able to respawn at various times during the game, meaning that that super tough orc marauder that you defeated earlier can show up when you least want it to, making your attempt at completing a quest that much harder. Because heroes will gain special new powerful equipment after each scenario, the various monsters will also get tougher between games, leveling themselves up, making them tougher to fight each time. It's a good balancing act, as things tend to scale quite well, and we all groaned whenever we saw that their new stats each came. Arcadia Quest is a bit of a luck fest, and you may have turns or games where the dice don't roll in your favor at times, but it should more or less even out as you play. That being said, if you drafted a team of less useful heroes at the start of the campaign, you could be cursing your way through multiple games. We did have one unfortunate player who misjudged some of his team when setting up for the first game, but we did let him pick through the vast number of unused heroes in order to gain a replacement partway through the campaign, and he actually came super close to winning the final scenario in the end. There are branching campaigns in each box set of both the original game and Inferno, meaning that you can play through several times, choosing different missions each time. As with every Seamon game, if you got in on the Kickstarter, you're going to have tons of options available to you. But if you just bought the retail versions, you won't have nearly as many heroes or unique monsters to choose from. The monsters aren't that big of a deal, but only having a dozen heroes to pick from can be a bit of a bummer. There's also multiple other expansions that could include things like pets that you can add to your team, giving you yet another character that can move around the dungeon and mess with your opponent's plans. All the minis are typical CIMON quality, and are sculpted in the chibi art style that their Marvel United games are. The art on the cards is phenomenal, but the dungeon tiles do look a little repetitive after a while. However, they do function well and allow for multiple ways to build the dungeons, with various passageways and chambers being easy to build during setup. You can also play one-off games and set the level of difficulty to your liking for those, allowing you to try out different strategies during a game night. There really is a ton of replayability in these boxes, but I wouldn't recommend the retail versions as a good value with all the extra stuff that came into each Kickstarter. But if you do enjoy dungeon crawls, and you've never tried Arcadia Quest, it's a game. It's a great game to track down if you can find a reasonably priced copy for sale. I've played multiple campaigns with two players, and it's a lot of fun as well, as it manages to scale quite nicely, but the full four-player experience is really the best way to play it. Grab a few friends, some light beverages and salty snacks, and prepare for lots of laughs at everyone's misfortunes as the game plays out. But most of all, don't take it too seriously, and everyone should have a good time with either Arcadia Quest or Inferno. Once again, for What You've Been Playing Wednesday, I'm Chris Morris, and may all your dice rolls be critical successes.
0: Hey there, Norm here from the Cardboard Conjecture Podcast. And uh, what you've been playing Wednesday? Well, let me tell you. Um, last week in Gamer's Garage, it was Jeff's uh, selection, and he picked uh, Scythe, designed by Jamie Stegmeier and published by Stonemeyer Games. And um, I don't own the game, I've played it uh, a handful of times now, probably six times. And uh, I've, I've talked before about how Scythe is one of those games that has grown on me. And to the point now where I have a love-hate relationship with it. Because uh, I, I see, I see the, the depth and the breadth of this game. But I have not spent enough time playing this game to uh, understand the connectivity, right? I mean, because you, you, uh, for those who haven't played, it's it, it seems like a uh, minis on the map kind of, you know, take that fight game, but there's a Euro element to it because there's a lot of tracks that you want to balance because of the interactivity with these tracks and how these tracks adjust to multipliers, but you still have to put up your dukes. And I'm still trying to find the balance in that because... I'm off playing my game, and then all of a sudden, kaboom, gets sideswiped and hammered on by multiple people, Um, just simply at the fact, because one of my tracks was just a little bit lower, so, um, you know, it's kind of on me for not seeing the full dimension of the game, but holy crows, there's just, sometimes for me with this game, uh, there's just, not that there's too many plates of spinning, but... In order, trying to see that that efficient uh, use of your turn, because on your turn there's there's a, there's a potential that there's so much potential, right? You have four. I think it's four actions that you do, and you can never do the same one, depending if you have that faction, right? But you do an action, and on the bottom there is a bonus action if you are capable of doing the bonus action. Now, an efficient turn means that. You're capable of doing the main action on top and then you're capable of doing the bonus action on the bottom. If you are even more synergistically connected to those around you, you've opened up your little, uh, I think it's called the advancement or the, uh, it's, it's that top, it's a little cylinder that uh, when someone does that action, Uh, If you have that revealed, you get some kickback because of your proximity to your, to your neighbors. And um, so there's all of these levers and switches to turn on. And man, metaphorically speaking, I am having troubles finding the light switch (laughs) because um, I get, I think what I've observed now of myself, I get locked in too much to one thing and it's I'm understanding that because the game trigger is you put your sixth sixth star on the on the board, and the game stops immediately. And sometimes, I mean, that can happen slowly, and then all of a sudden, there's just this turn in the graph that goes sky high, straight for like straight up and real fast that uh, within two rounds, you realize, I'm done, what happened, right, because um, people have designed their engines in such a manner that it's a slow burn, a slow burn, and then hit the NOS kit and step on that gas, and the last two turns for some players were, they went from zero stars to boom, won the game, right, Um, I want to get there, I so want to get there, I want to be able to grok this thing. But like I said, I'm in this middle zone of having a love-hate relationship with it because um, like anybody who, uh, you, know, you know, has this intrinsic motivation of uh, need to understand or need to be not mastery of it, but proficient at it, I would say. And uh, my proficiency is slipping through my fingers and it's driving me crazy Um And it's not to say that there's anything bad about the game, it's just like I said, that whole concept of looking at your board, seeing what connects, knowing what switches to flip and when to not just flip them, but when to turn those switches on, right, in regards to moving cubes around and opening up. Uh, uh, bonus actions and not only just opening up bonus actions, but advancements allow you to make certain resources or certain actions less expensive resource wise to perform. So, yeah, that just means, you know, less moving around on the board, less collecting stuff, less, you know, standing in one spot with a whole bunch of resources and looking like a big pigeon.
3: <laughs>
0: yeah, uh, lately I am proud to play the role of bait when it comes to playing scythe. So hopefully that turns around. And uh, but like I said, uh, um, uh, I love hate relationship. I want to get better at this game, which means I'm pro- I'm gonna play it some more, right? Um, unless unless my next one was I mean, next week's or uh, in, in two weeks, my uh, what you've been playing episode uh, will be all right. I snapped. I threw the board across the table. Um, I hope not. But uh, so Jamie Stegmeier, well done on the design, the art. If you don't know the art, it's that whole steampunk, you know, world after World War One kind of um, uh, kind of alter alternate reality kind of thing going on. But uh, yes, and published by Stonemire Games. So that's what I've been doing lately, and uh, hopefully tonight is. Uh, Gamer's Garage, and it's Jordan's pick, and he hasn't said what he's playing, so we're going in cold, which is, you know, for me, <laughs> that's that's the, that's the normal area for me. So, that being said, thank you so much for listening to what we have to say, and thank you so much for the other uh, content creators who, every week, and well, now, because we're kind of changing the schedule uh, around. Uh, Week two and week four of every month is when we're going to drop what you've been playing Wednesday. And uh, thank you always to the contributors because this doesn't happen without you, or it will, and it's only five minutes and it's me. And that's not acceptable. Uh, And thank you so much for, uh, like I said, for listening. Thank you so much to the content creators. And got to finish it up by saying, keep your stick on the ice and take care out there, eh? (laughs)